Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50,000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. In five, four, three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host. Kevin Edwards and joining us today, folks, got the co-founder and CEO of Hungary. Please give a warm welcome to Mr. Jeff Grass. Jeff, my man, how you doing today? Hey, Kevin. Excited to be here. Thanks for coming on the show. And Jeff, I, th I think with this time we have today, I think it might be helpful for the audience just to kind of go into some background, some origin story, the co-founder story of how this thing came to be. So I'm asking the question of What's the earliest memory that comes to mind with Hungary? What resonates with you? Uh, earliest memory is when my, my two co-founders um, came to me with the original kernel of the idea. Um, so uh, they were co-founders of mine and my last company, um, LiveSafe, and uh, had uh, uh, come up with this idea of a platform that could connect office workers to local cooks and chefs. Um, and uh, uh, originally, it started more as a direct-to-consumer idea, but um, but we evolved it over time into into really what Hungary is today. So this was back in about 2016. And so, why take the leap? Why go into this? What was it about the market? What did you want to make sure you validated before you jumped in? Yeah, um, uh, we we you know. Really started off with with kind of a focus on you know, kind of some of the core issues with um, 
you know, feeding, you know, teams and, and office workers. So, um, you know, uh, you know, this is sort of in the early days of direct-to-consumer food delivery. Um, and, and again, we started that way that the focus was actually on how do we get sort of healthier, more authentic food to office workers? And on one side, you know, kind of solving that problem. And on the other side, could we tap into local cooks or local chefs um, to provide an alternative career path or just a way to make some extra money? Um, uh, and, and by creating a marketplace that put the two sides together, could we, you know, make each side's you know, life better off? Um, and so that was kind of the original kind of kernel of the ideas that we're, we're kind of kicking around. And what were those early problems or pain points? Was it just connecting and getting paid as a chef? Uh, obviously, as a, a worksite employee, maybe not having the best food to eat. You know, what was that enlarged problem early on that you wanted to make sure that you addressed? Yeah, as we, as we quickly evolved the idea from a direct-to-consumer direct concept to more of an office catering concept, um, you know, it, it became very clear that the person responsible for ordering food to the office for their teams almost universally hates it. Um, uh, it it's funny, 99% of our clients, you know, really don't like the fact that they're responsible for, for bringing food into the office. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's hugely time-consuming. Um, it's difficult to please everyone. Um, Americans' diets have gotten really complicated with all kinds of allergies and, and, and specialized diets. And so um, it just takes a tremendous amount of time. And, and most of the time, you're either sourcing from a restaurant or a traditional caterer. And uh, caterers tend to be expensive and restaurants you know, tend not to be super reliable and consistent. And so it just leads to lots of hassles and headaches. And so um, it was really, you know, I think that kind of the core insight around our customer is, is that um, it's, a, it's a challenging issue for the person responsible. They generally don't like it. And, uh, and there's a lot of fairly consistent sort of pain that they feel around it. Interesting. And, and when you think about like your pricing, how did you go about that? Did you look at your expenses first? Did you look at the profit you wanted to make? Did you look at just how do we just get this out there to grow the brand? Like, help me understand like, your philosophy on pricing. Yeah, yeah. Well, the way Hungry Works is we're this platform that connects you know companies to top local chefs and restaurants. Um, historically, it's been um, exclusively you know, local chefs cooking out of shared kitchens, ghost kitchens, um, and so the model itself was really designed around how do we provide higher quality but at a lower cost structure. So when you you try to order food from a restaurant, you know you're essentially paying retail prices. It's a restaurant that has you know retail rents, lots of overhead, a lot of infrastructure. Um, and so it's not the most cost-effective way to do it. Um, whereas if you're partnering with local chefs cooking out of shared kitchens um, and you're cooking, you're, you're, you're partnering with some of the best chefs, you can get really high quality because they can make you know, exceptional food, but it strips a lot of the costs out of, out of the, the food production um, side. And so, um, so we really approached it from the, the lens of how do we make sure this is a great long-term alternative career path for the chefs. So how much money do they need to make? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, on the other side, can we provide higher quality, greater reliability, better service at a comparable price point to what the, the, the companies are paying today? And if so, if there's enough of a margin in there for us, we think we've got a really exciting business opportunity. And that's definitely it. what we've been able to prove out. And, and thinking about, I mean, well, just real quick, how many chefs are currently on the platform? We have about 500 um, chefs and, and restaurant partners across the country in, in 13 major cities. And so I would assume this is more the, the, the supply side 
you know, and, and getting those folks on first may have been more difficult. Like, what were some of the programs, the incentives you wanted to do to make sure you got these chefs to buy in and and, and sign up? What worked for you? Yeah, yeah. A lot of it um, really was about you know, you know figuring out how to find them um, and uh, uh, and and then really what was the the value proposition from a chef perspective. And at the core of it, um, it's it's an opportunity to make more more income uh, and have a great deal more lifestyle flexibility are kind of the two most important drivers for chefs. Secondarily, it's they love cooking their own recipes, you know, rather than the recipe of the restaurant they work in. Um, and they love that we help feature them. We try to really bring the chef story into the office. And so it helps them build a brand and build a following. Um, but but the core is, is very much around, you know, can they make more income and 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 have more lifestyle flexibility? You know, the, the dirty little secret is, you know, executive chefs in this country um, whereas the head chef in a restaurant, you know, generally makes, you know, very little money, you know, they're, they're paid, you know, 70, $80,000 a year. Um, and that's, you know, once they achieve, you know, you know, years and years of rising up to, to being that, you know, the head chef. Um, and, and it's also a very challenging career path, you know, from a lifestyle perspective, if you think about it, you know, if you're the head chef at a restaurant, you got to be there when it's busy. So it's nights and weekends. Right. And so, um, it's hard to be a mom and a chef. Right. And so, um, so what, what I think attracts a lot of our chefs to our platform is, is they can make three, four times as much money, um, but also that it gives them a great deal of, of lifestyle flexibility. They can pick and choose when they want to be available, when they don't. Um, uh, and, uh, and that tends to attract you know, a, a, you know, a, a lot of chefs who are looking for that lifestyle flexibility. Because of that, you'll see we actually have a disproportionately high percentage of female chefs on our platform. Um, it's hard to be a mom you know, and, a, and a chef at the same time. Certainly, it's very empowering, you know, for that kind of lifestyle worker. And, you know, I'm curious about the growth uh, and and really, you know, what helped drive that growth early on to you, like looking back at that early adoption, the early adopters of the actual program, like what what led to that success? Yeah, early on, it was um, it was honestly a lot of us figuring it out. Um, but uh, myself, my two co-founders came from, from more of a technology background. So we were, we were very focused on how do we use technology to, to make this business model work? Yeah. Um, and I think in some ways it was the lack of, 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 of knowledge around food and how it was supposed to work that you know, allowed us to approach it with you know, a, a completely blank sheet of paper. Um, you know, the traditional method is, is you have one chef responsible for, you know, the whole menu, right? It's if you have a head chef in every, whether it's a catering company or restaurant. Um, and we, we kind of didn't know that. So we sort of flipped it on its head. So why don't we have lots of chefs with more limited menus and we can provide our clients huge variety. You know, you know each day you can order from a different chef. It's going to taste totally different. It's very authentic. Um, uh, and, and, you know, you can have provide much better variety than one, one chef trying to do lots of different cuisine types. And so, um, it was, it was thinking like that, that I think, you know, helped us kind of get going. And then it was early team members, uh, like, like Paul Wharton and others that just, you know, had a lot of hustle and helped us, you know, get the word out quickly and, and, and start to build an initial, you know, base of customers. I love that. Uh, and, and just anyway, I'm always fascinated about like those early stories, like the grit it takes to get those things off the ground. And we have a network here, too. So just thinking about the supply and demand challenges that come along with those things. But I like how you had a different background, a tech background. You, we didn't, you didn't know a lot of the things that was going on in the, in the chef's world. What have you learned about 
the world of of cooking and and meal prep um, that has maybe changed your your perspective on business and how to address this uh, this market this new market. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I joke the my first job ever. I was a cook for Kentucky Fried Chicken back when I was a teenager, <laughs> and I swore I'd never work in food again after that. Um, um, uh, you know, I think you know, lots of different lessons learned. Um, you know, one thing is just how wonderful and cool chefs are. Um, uh, you know, each one, you know, is is incredibly talented, have, have amazing backstories. You know, we love hearing the stories of our chefs. And that's a key initiative for us is really help bring those stories out. And, and so that the our, our clients and the guests in the office can can really understand you know, more about who's making their meal, you know, where the ingredients came from, you know, the stories, you know, behind the food. Um, um, but but also, you know, how much cost is in, you know, in, in the existing models today. And so by, by really trying to strip it down to its bare, um, you know, because we're catering, you know, it's advanced ordering, it's not, you know, generally on demand, that allows our chefs to only source the ingredients they need for, for a specific catering. So it eliminates a lot of the food waste that kind of gets, you know, drives up costs. Um, you know, as I mentioned, you know, they're using shared kitchens. So that takes a ton of the costs out of the model. Um, and you don't have all the overhead and infrastructure that, that you also have to support, you know, if you're you're trying to do this out of a more of a retail establishment. So um, just lots of ways of just looking at it, you know, with fresh perspective around what's most important. It's the talent of the chef, you know, and 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 trying to limit the ingredients to just what folks are going to eat. And uh, and then how do we do this in a really flexible, low cost way? Um, were some of the core tenants that we started with and and continue to use to kind of drive us forward today. And as like the lead communicator really of, of your organization, like how do you tap into those values, the mission? How do you use uh, the message that you're trying to deliver? And how have you seen that communication, I guess, show up? Has it been in recruitment for your own employees? Has it been in the adoption of, uh, you know, the chefs to join, you know, the, the co-creation of this? I mean, help me understand uh, how you think about and implement communication in the leadership level. Yeah, a lot of it is is we're a very purpose-driven company. Our core purpose is to improve the lives of everyone we touch, but with a special focus on the chefs who are partners on the platform, clients that we serve, giving back in the communities where we operate, and our team. So it's really those are the four key groups that we just you know really hyper-focus on. And so any any decision we make is really through the lens of how do we make each of those four groups better off in the process. Um, uh, so I think that the, the purpose, you know, really helps, you know, create sort of a broad strategic framework. Our, we have nine core values. You kind of see them on the wall behind me here um, that we very much live by. Um, and, and we really view as kind of our the nine ingredients to our success. And, uh, um, and, and so it's, it's, it's trying to establish some of these basic principles, you know, values, purpose that, that sort of set the stage for, for who we are and what we're trying to be. And then it's, you know, starting to fill in, okay, what are we for chefs? What are we for community? What are we for team? What are we for our clients? Um, is, is, is how we try to communicate. And I think that helps make it simpler and easier to consistently kind of keep that message going. And, uh, uh, and, and I think more inspirational for those that get involved. It seems like a manifest throughout the organization. You know, I'm, I'm curious, like how often, I mean, it's right behind you, the values are right behind you. I mean, how often are you uh, reemphasizing the values? How do you continually incorporate them? In your meetings. Oh, I talk. I, yeah, I'm, excuse me. I, I talk about them all the time. Um, I talk about them with every potential hire. Um, you know, we have 135 full-time team members today, and I still 
and, and, and interview every single person we're potentially hiring. And I talk about our values. Um, so, and, and it's because it's very much, you know, how we want to operate. And so if, if you're not aligned with them, um, this is just the wrong place for you, you know, and, uh, um, but, but when everybody does, you know, sort of operate in alignment with those values, you know, we're all rowing in the same direction. We're all kind of, you know, fostering a kind of environment that, that we think, you know, breeds success and, and helps inspire people to, 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 you know, take it to the next level. And, um, uh, and so it's really about, you know, trying to, you know, keep, so we do, we reinforce them on, on, you know, standups on, on a regular basis where we're typically, you know, referencing or talking about our values. And Jeff, you have uh, experience in multiple different industries. Is it something about this impact-oriented company that you've seen has really added value from the recruitment aspect? Are you seeing a difference at all? Uh, I'm sure maybe your company's before purpose-driven, but are you seeing, a, I guess, an increase in the productivity, recruitment, retainment of the people of your organization? I, I believe so. I, I think um, if, if you have... Uh, a company that has a very clear mission or purpose that, that people are, are motivated by and excited by. Um, uh, a, it, it helps attract the kinds of people that are, they're, you know, really excited about it. So, you know, they, they come to work, you know, charged up and, and wanting to have an impact. Um, and, uh, and it also just, you know, creates, uh, I think, opportunities for everybody to feel like they're, they're part of something greater. You know, you're not just a cog in a wheel. You're, you're part of an, an overall effort to try to do something that can really have a positive impact. Um, and so, um, you know, this is the fourth venture-backed company I've, I've co-founded and led. And, um, and I can't say I was, you know, nearly as focused on this in, in the, you know, the first one or two. It was really over time I started to realize how powerful having a, a clear mission or purpose is for a company. And, um, and I think especially as more and more, you know, society is looking for companies that are more than just, you know, trying to, um, you know, you know, make a profit, but, you know, how are they trying to impact the world and, and are they doing that in a positive way, I think is becoming, you know, more, more essential to, to you know, business success as well. So I think it, it it's not only a good way to, to lead and manage people, but I think it's also a, a good way to build a successful, thriving business. And go into that a little bit more. When you just say the term impact business, like how do you define it? Yeah, so we, we really look at, you know, how we're providing value. Um, we we, we kind of use the terminology of improve the lives of, you know, each of those four key groups, right? So for clients, obviously, it's very hyper-focused on, you know, how, how do we, you know, A, understand, you know, what their needs are and address them, you know, better than anybody else in the market. Um, you know, Hungry really focuses on providing us platform of variety, you know, high quality food, um, you know, ultra reliability, providing a VIP level of service. It's these different dimensions that our clients, you know, find most important, you know, in the in the purchase decision for for for, for business catering, um, and so we really try to optimize around those types of things. Um, you know, for for our chefs, it's providing this alternative career path, which we talked about, um, and then community is a key pillar as well for us. So we have really two core core elements there. One is our our commitment to environmental sustainability and the other is around helping fight hunger and food insecurity in this country and so since the, the founding of the company we've provided a meal for every two we sell and so that's kind of the, the core of our of our of our focus around uh around helping fight hunger and we do lots of other events with some of our celebrity backers to to elevate awareness there as well um so you know, so it's, it's, you know, it's different ways of measuring just based on each of the different component pieces but I think all of it together comes 
you know, you know, comes together into providing, you know, a fairly compelling you know, package for folks to, to want to be a part of. It's interesting. Yeah. And I, I noticed the commitment to environmental sustainability. And of course, I think inherently what you're doing is you're lifting more people out of poverty as well, giving a lot of opportunity to those chefs. Um, I, you know, I'm curious, and this is a question we asked in our impact awards application, and that is if you were to remove your impact, it could be donating meals, it could be maybe just the ethos of the company, if you're to remove that, do you think that your company would be more profitable? in the long term no no I, I think well you know like we use things like materials that are fully compostable and biodegradable and, and you know work really hard around environmental sustainability and it costs more right but um but i think also sometimes when you focus on um how like not not worry about that but how are we going to do it how are we going to make this successful you come up with innovative solutions so um an example of that is is that you know it's you know, virtually nobody today will provide you know office catering and then come back and clean up you know the mess afterwards, right? But you feed fifty people and there's usually you know lots of of shrapnel left over from from that. Um, where we realized, you know what? If we go back and provide a free cleanup service, we can actually recapture a lot of the elements of the catering that we provide um, and recycle and reuse them, and the cost savings associated with that um, is is almost as much as the cost of of you know paying you know some of our team members to to come back later to do this and so um, a it's better for our team members because they make you know additional income um, b the you know the clients love it and c it's really good for the environment because we're not throwing all this stuff in the trash we're you know we're, we're making sure you know a lot of it's recycled and reused um, and and so I think some of it's just you know once you commit yourself down a path you can start finding kind of creative solutions that uh, uh, you know create those kind of win-win outcomes. Yeah, and, and go into that a little bit more, the, the innovation with collaborative partnerships, things that have helped you lower your costs. Help me understand how you think about that and how you kind of approach those, those uh, I guess, strategic partners. Yeah, I, I'd say that the biggest is, is our chef and restaurant partners, right? And so it's really about trying to, um, you know, find a happy balance of, you know, how do we help make them successful? Um, and, 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 and for us, you know, it's good business. We want, you know, the great chefs to, to be with us for a long period of time, right? So it, it's got to be sustainable. It's not just about how do we squeeze them, you know, down as, as little as we can, but, um, but also how do we work together to create, you know, efficiencies? So, um, for example, if we're, if we're steering, you know, uh, 200 meals, you know, in a cooking session to a chef versus 20, you know, they can be far are more you know uh, efficient with with their costs of labor if you're spreading it over 200 meals than 20, and so um, so you can do things that you know you know allow us to get you know more more competitive or effective pricing, but um, it still results in sort of a win-win. And so um, so sometimes it's a collaboration with our chefs on you know how are we going to work together? How do we how do we set you up for success? And then that success you know, allows us to be successful and. And if we're both working together, we can provide the most compelling solution for our clients and we're going to win more clients. And then, you know, everybody is even better off. So it, it's, 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 it's usually kind of approaching it from that direction. And Jeff, in your growth so far, have you noticed, like, was there anything called, like, I think it's called like an escape velocity where <laughs> everything just compounds on itself and you're really in this stage of hyper growth. Have you experienced that in Hungary? And if so, what were some of those things that you think were the secret sauce? Yeah, yeah, I, I'd say um, 
Interestingly, we've seen two different phases of that. So the first was um, uh, pre pre COVID, um, where as you know, the first year and a half, two years was very much you know kind of grinding it out, figuring out the business model, um, and we were building what we call our cookbooks. Um, and our cookbooks are essentially the playbooks around how we go to market, how we build and manage a chef network, how we we run a services organization to make it super reliable and provide VIP level service. Uh, and 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 in part of that is building our technology platform. We call it the Hungry OS or Hungry Operating System that enables us to run the business in a way that makes it very reliable, very scalable, very cost efficient. And um, and so it took us again the first couple of years to kind of get the basics down. And and from there it was okay. Let's now take this to other cities. Can we prove we can we can replicate this model in other markets? We went to Philadelphia and Atlanta and New York and Boston. Um, and, and that was really the first time where we really started to see this hockey stick growth beginning to happen, because um, now you're, you're seeing sort of five businesses growing, you know, rather than, than one business growing. Um, and we showed we could we could launch a city and turn it profitable in about a year. And so it was really about, wow, this is this is really working nicely. Um, so we raised a round of money with uh, a round of funding with a plan of rolling out in 18 cities across the country. Uh, and then, you know, March 2020 hit. Um, COVID arrived and suddenly being a platform for office and event catering was like the worst business possible to be in. Um, and so uh, you're happy to talk about that period, but we, you know, we, we successfully navigated COVID and then coming out of COVID, um, it's interesting. We, we grew faster uh, last year than we did the year prior and we're growing faster this year than we did last year. Um, so we're seeing this new sort of, you know, hockey stick, you know, second quarter hockey stick starting to occur. Um, some of it is, is that, you know, I think we're, we're, we've got a much more, you know, refined, you know, go to market and, and operation. We're now in 13 major cities and, and obviously return to office is, is, is helping put a lot of wind in our sails. I, I love that. And, and certainly a lot of patience and persistence comes along, you know, with that, that delay and certainly, you know, paid off and paid some dividends for you all. You know, a lot of CEOs in our community, you know, they, they build a lot of hype around these launches, you know, you only launch once, right? That's, that's a term I hear often. Do you think you've perfected this launch when it comes to these cities? And like, when you say launch, like, what do you exactly mean by that for people listening to this? Yeah, um, uh, we, we've dialed it in pretty well. We've got, you know, very, very well-defined sort of launch rubric and, and we can launch a new city in about a 45 day cycle. Um, but no, we have we perfected it. No, like you know, there, there's still um, those that go great and those that you know that have issues, and we've got to kind of work through it a bit. So um, I think for us, if you're if you're more of a direct to consumer business, and you know it's it's this product, and and you're trying to sort of ignite you know discussion around it, and 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 people are only going to ever try you once. Um, I, I think that probably you know is is more of the rule than for us where. Ours is, you know, business catering. And so, you know, if, if we, you know, if we stumble here or there, like there's, there's, it's a big, big market and it gives us an opportunity to kind of keep refining, keep getting better, keep getting better. Um, we, we certainly focus on, um, uh, on, on flawless execution. It's kind of the internal terminology we, we love to say, but, uh, um, but, uh, uh, but, but, you know, I, I don't think the first month, you know, of, of a launch is, is quite as critical for us. It's really about just consistent, good performance. And 
uh, and, and recognizing when we make mistakes, we do lots of postmortems. We really analyze, you know, what went wrong. How do we make sure that never happens again? And so it's about getting a little bit better every single day. And uh, if we do that, then, um, you know, I, I know we're, we're going to ultimately win. And, and help me understand when you're talking about a launch, like to someone that could just be like an online campaign to another it could be an email marketing campaign to maybe you it's in person knocking on doors. What does mm -hmm. launch mean in your world? Yeah, for us, our, our go to market is very direct sales driven. So um, it, it's more, you know, me knocking on doors or, or my team members, you know, knocking on doors or, or trying to call in and, um, uh, you know, establish relationships with the organizations that, that feed their teams that bring food into their offices. Um, and, and it's just about trying to understand, you know, what their, their challenges are and, and help them understand, you know, how Hungary has, you know, I think a fundamentally better solution than anything else out there and, and how we're, we're usually well, you know, structured to, to solve a lot of those challenges they face. Jeff, you're just talking about postmortems and learning from, from failure. How do you view failure or, um, challenges uh, when it comes to your role as a leader? Yeah, we, we try to have um, sort of a philosophy of it's okay to mess up. Um, just don't do it, you know, the same, you know, mess up the same way, you know, twice or, or more. Um, mm -hmm. Just don't do it again. Um, so um, so that's where this idea of, of postmortems, you know, kind of it, it's okay that, you know, it didn't go well. Like what went wrong? Let's let's all collectively take a very, you know, um, dispassionate view of, you know, what, what, what happened, what went well, what could we have done differently? Um, so that we learn from it. And uh, and I and I think you know this is a pretty complicated business operationally. You know, it's it's coordinating, you know, with chefs, you know, they've got to perform at a high level, it's picking it up, it's delivering it, it's setting it up the right way, it's providing, you know, this this whole suite of services. And so um, you know, there, there's a there's a fair bit of people involved in in you know, this tech platform. And so um so it's really about just kind of getting better and better and, and getting smarter and smarter and developing our what we call SOPs, our standard operating procedures, and just keep refining them, refining them. And um, so we focus a lot on people and training. Um, we have a, a number of full-time trainers and things that so we're constantly trying to, you know, um, develop our team and uh, and and through that, you know, elevate elevate performance. Interesting. And, and what resonates with me is like when you're talking about how the, the business model, when you're when we're trying to figure it out, you know, getting, it's an iterative process. We're trying to figure out what works and when, what doesn't. I think a lot of founders and CEOs can really resonate with what you're talking about. And, and being the CEO is one of the most unique opportunities in the world. Like in terms of your role, like how do you define what it means to be a CEO in your business? Uh, well, you know, it's an incredible, you know, honor and privilege and opportunity. I think um, for me, I, I I think it's just super fun. Um, you know, I, I love trying to um, solve difficult problems. I love you know trying to build teams and um, and and elevate performance. Um, I love you know trying to have a positive impact in the world. And so um, you know, there, there's lots of different elements to it. Um, you know, in terms of my role. You know, I think the role of the, the CEO founder sort of changes as the business grows, right? So you go from like doing it all yourself, right, in the early days to, you know, trying to build a team and, and, and elevate. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I think, you know, a lot of it today is around, you know, trying to foster the right environment and culture. And again, we're trying to be very um, uh, intentional around that. Um, it's around you know, making sure we're from a strategy perspective, you kind of own that and make sure we're headed in the right direction. Um, 
and then you know it's it's obviously trying to make sure um, you know you are executing well and that the team is executing well and, and addressing issues you know if they come up um, along the way. But uh, uh, it's still a it still pulls me in a number of different directions though I'd say. But uh, but you know part of that's the you know what makes it super interesting too is is uh, you know it's never the same day twice. <laughs> sure. Well, um, thanks for coming on the show, Jeff, and kind of sharing uh, your perspective, your experience. Uh, you know, one of the questions that that I'm curious about, based on what you were just telling me, is just like, what do you, what do you want to improve on? Like, what are you currently focusing on yourself to be a better leader uh, in your organization? Do you spend much time on that? Yeah, uh, I, I I do, um, and that's actually a great question. So I, I use an executive coach to try to help me. I I, I uh, have a group that I, of other CEOs that I meet with regularly um, to to kind of share experiences and and, and things. Um, uh, you know, I, I think you know it, it's incredibly important to stay humble as a leader and as a business. Um, you know, gratitude is one of our our core values and. Um, you know, it, it's you know obviously closely related to humility, but um, I, yeah, there's a, a long list of things that I could be better at. But a lot of it is is trying to always, um, you know, make sure we're not losing, you know, some of what makes I think hungry special in terms of the kind of environment we're trying to create while we're growing so quickly. You know, we're we're, we're doubling in size every year. Um, you know, we we we've expanded geographically. You know quite quickly into 13 different cities. So we've become a very distributed team. And so uh, I, I do worry about you know, how that, that changes us over time. And so um, try to try to you know, keep a, a close pulse on uh, you know, how, how folks are doing and how well aligned they are with our, our, our purpose and our values. But um, uh, you know, lots of areas to, to continue to work on, I'm sure. <laughs> and, and Jeff, uh, outside of business, you told me before the show, I'm reading a book on Ulysses S. Grant right now. Is there anything that's outside of work that's been helpful, maybe as an outlet? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I, I exercise a lot. I'm a big uh, Orange Theory you know, fanatic. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I do think, you know, kind of make the body healthy, and that helps, you know, keep the mind healthy, too. Start with the body. Um uh, but I have two two awesome kids uh, and a dog that uh, that keep me, you know, quite busy as well. Um, so it's, uh, I'm, I'm very blessed, you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, wonderful, positive influences for me in my life. <laughs> well, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on this program today. Let's bring this home in all of this. What is your definition of a real leader? Uh, I think a real leader is, is one that has humility that, um, leads by example, uh, and can provide, you know, clear clear vision, purpose, and direction for their team. Love that for Jeff Crass. I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, have humility, and always keep it real. Thanks, Jeff. Awesome. Thanks, Kevin. Hey, Releaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Releaders.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines. 
courses, and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.